One of the strongest pieces of evidence in a court of law is eyewitness accounts. We live in a day in which DNA evidence or something similar carries a lot of weight, but that kind of evidence isn't always available for every kind of court case. Eyewitness accounts are still powerful evidence, especially if there are multiple eyewitness accounts. That is part of what makes the resurrection of Jesus Christ such a strong case. In all, there were 17 recorded appearances of the risen Christ. Now, that's just the ones that were recorded. We know there were many more, but there were 17 recorded appearances of the risen Christ. There were five on resurrection day, six during the 40-day post-resurrection ministry, and six post-ascension appearances of Christ from heaven. I want us to run through these by way of introduction to our text in Mark chapter 16. There's nothing profound about the way this introduction is put together. The only thing profound about it is the overwhelming amount of evidence there is for the literal bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So here we go. The first resurrection appearance of Jesus was to Mary Magdalene as she remained at the side of the tomb after Peter and John had gone. That is recorded for us in John chapter 20. And I'm going to run through these rather quickly, so don't worry if you don't keep up in all the passages. You can try or you can just listen, whichever works best for you. In John chapter 20, verse 10, we read that Peter and John left after having seen the empty tomb. And then in verse 11 it says, But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, Teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. This is the first appearance of Jesus after his resurrection. Mark 16, 11 tells us that Mary did go to the disciples, but they didn't believe her. So Jesus had some convincing to do. The second appearance of Jesus after his resurrection, according to Matthew 28, verses 9 and 10, was to the other women who were returning to the tomb. By the way, just as a little side note, those who say that Christianity and the Bible are demeaning to women need to think again because our Lord's first two resurrection appearances were to some dear women who loved him and followed him. The third appearance was to Peter during that Sunday afternoon. Luke 24, 34 mentions this as well as 1 Corinthians 15, 5. 
What an encouragement it is to my heart to realize that Jesus took the initiative to seek out Peter, the denier. The next time you doubt the Lord's willingness to forgive and restore, just remember that fact. The fourth appearance of Jesus was to two disciples as they walked along the road to Emmaus. This is recorded in Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 13, where it says, Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, in word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Then Jesus said to them, O foolish and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, the day is far spent. So he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the way and on the road, and while he opened the Scriptures to us? So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem, and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed. And has appeared to Simon, and they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Now listen, if you can hear that without joy and excitement, there's something wrong. Put yourself back in that situation. These two were walking along the road, and all of a sudden Jesus joined them and eventually made himself known to them. What an amazing event. That was number four. The fifth appearance of the Lord Jesus after his resurrection was to the ten disciples, Thomas being absent. It's also right here in Luke 24, beginning in verse 36. Now, as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do you doubts arise in your hearts? Behold, my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, 
Have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Jesus ate this food in their presence to prove to them that his resurrection was a literal bodily resurrection and not just some kind of spiritual resurrection. And that concludes the appearances on the first day. The next and sixth appearance of Jesus was a week later to the 11 disciples. This time, Thomas was present. This one is recorded in John chapter 20. I'll begin reading in verse 26. John 20, verse 26. And after eight days, and by the way, this was the following Sunday because of the way time was reckoned then, included the days on both ends of the span. So you start on Sunday, you go to the next of Sunday, they'll say after eight days, Sunday through Sunday. So this is the next Sunday. After eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands, and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God, Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This appearance of Jesus shows us that Thomas was an honest doubter because the Lord came to meet him. The Lord will always meet an honest doubter who wants to know the truth. That's the sixth appearance. The seventh appearance of Jesus was to seven disciples by the Sea of Galilee, recorded in the very next chapter, John 21, verse 1. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and in this way he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, We are going with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning now had come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? They answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it and plunged into the sea. So there had been a gap since they had previously seen Jesus. They really didn't understand what was going on, so they were surprised on this occasion to see him. That's number seven. The eighth appearance of Jesus after his resurrection was to 500 brethren that Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians 15. The ninth appearance of Jesus is also mentioned there in 1 Corinthians 15, and it was to James, the half-brother of Jesus. It seems from John, verses, uh, John 7, verses 3 through 5, that James was not a believer prior to the resurrection, but immediately after the resurrection, he is mentioned as one of the believers. Evidently, it was the personal appearance of Jesus to his half-brother that caused him to believe. The tenth appearance of Jesus was to the eleven disciples on the mountain in Galilee where Jesus gave them the great commission to make disciples. The eleventh and final recorded appearance of Jesus before his ascension into heaven took place as just as he was about to ascend into heaven. It's in Acts chapter 1, 
Verse 4, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. So our Lord went back to the Father's right hand, But that wasn't the end of his resurrection appearances. After Jesus ascended into heaven, and this is is amazing to me, after Jesus ascended into heaven, he appeared six more times. His twelfth appearance, and the first one after the ascension, was to Stephen in Acts 7 while Stephen was being brutally murdered for his devotion to Christ. Stephen gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. What amazing grace that our Lord would appear to his beloved servant during that time. The 13th appearance of Jesus is when he confronted Paul on the road to Damascus and Paul was converted in Acts chapter 9. That was a power-packed appearance that knocked Saul to the ground and converted him. The 14th appearance of Christ seems to have been Paul in Arabia, according to passages like Acts 20, verse 24, Acts 26, 17, and Galatians chapter 1, verses 12 and 17. The 15th appearance of Jesus was to Paul in the temple when Paul was warned about the persecution that was coming. That is recorded in Acts 22. According to Acts 23, the 16th appearance of Jesus after his resurrection and even after his ascension was to Paul while in prison in Caesarea. And our Lord said to him, Take courage, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. And then the 17th and final appearance of Jesus was to the Apostle John on the island of Patmos in Revelation chapter 1. You are probably familiar with these words, Revelation chapter 1 verse 9. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. 
Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice is the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars out of his mouth, when a sharp two-edged sword in his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Beloved, those are the marvelous 17 recorded appearances of the Lord Jesus Christ after his resurrection. Five on resurrection day, six during the 40-day post-resurrection ministry, and six post-ascension appearances of Jesus from heaven. This morning, we want to look at the prelude to all of that as it is recorded in Mark chapter 16. So turn back with me, please, to Mark chapter 16 as we almost come to the end of our trek through Mark's gospel this morning, and then, Lord willing, next week we'll conclude our look at Mark's gospel. Please follow along as I read verses 1 through 8 of Mark 16, though we already looked last week at the first few verses. We'll read them again to get the context in our minds. Mark 16, verse 1. Now, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they said among themselves, Who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very great or very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee, where you will see him, as he said to you. So they went out quickly and fled from the tomb, for they trembled and were amazed. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. This is Mark's account of the resurrection of Jesus and some of the events that took place afterwards. Each gospel writer chose to record and emphasize different post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. Of course, we know that this selection process was guided by the Holy Spirit of God who used the four gospel writers to emphasize various aspects of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Mark, interestingly, doesn't record any of the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus here in these verses, but some are mentioned in verses 9 through 20, and we'll talk about those debated verses next week. 
As a comparison, Matthew mentions the appearance of Jesus to a group of women that were leaving the tomb. And then at the end of his book, Matthew's, he tells about the appearance of Jesus to a group of disciples up in Galilee where Jesus gave the Great Commission. That is how Matthew ends his gospel record, but Mark's is different. The opening verses of this chapter tell us what happened early in the morning on Sunday, the first day of the week. A group of women decided to go to the tomb of Jesus. There were actually several women involved, but Mark mentions only three. He mentions Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of one of the disciples known as James the Less, and Salome. Their intention was to finish anointing the body of Jesus because the burial had taken place so quickly on Friday afternoon in order to get Jesus in the tomb before sundown. So these ladies set out, probably before light. It was still dark, and as they arrived, it was just getting light, and they were by no means expecting the resurrection. In fact, Mark tells us that they were wondering how they would move this huge stone away from the entrance of the tomb. However, what they didn't know was that the stone would already be moved because Matthew tells us an angel of the Lord descended from heaven, came and rolled back the stone, and sat on it. Remember now, the angel did not roll the stone away to let Jesus out. So many people wrongly assume that or believe that. The angel rolled the stone away so that everyone could see that Jesus was no longer in the tomb. Therefore, when the women arrived at the tomb, Jesus wasn't there, but an angel was. Verse 5 tells us that when they arrived and entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Remember what I mentioned earlier, there were actually several women involved in this group. Matthew identifies two, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of one of the disciples known as James the Less. Mark identifies another woman named Salome, who was the mother of James and John. Luke identifies another woman named Joanna, whose husband was Herod's steward. And John adds that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there. In addition, Luke refers in his gospel to other women. That's his phrase. Other women that are never explicitly identified. So there were at least five women in this group probably seven or even more women who banded together to go to the tomb of Jesus. Part of the reason why they were all together may have been for safety. It wouldn't have been safe for one or two women to walk around alone in the early hours of the morning. So they head to the tomb. They didn't expect anyone to be there because they probably didn't even know about the guard unit that had been dispatched by Pilate. That had taken place after the fact. And when they get there, the tomb is empty, the stone is rolled away, there's an angel in there, and Mark describes this angel as a young man clothed in a long white robe. Interesting description. When angels take human form in Scripture, whether it's the Old or the New Testament, they always do so as men. But this was no mere man. Actually, we know from Luke's Gospel that there were two angels, but Mark mentions only the one who spoke. 
Matthew describes one of the two angels as majestic and dynamic and powerful and even intimidating. We don't know if that was this angel or not, but it's certainly possible because of the first words spoken in the next verse. Verse 6, he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. So his first words to these dear women were, Do not be alarmed. They most certainly were on edge as they headed to the tomb early that morning. So it is no wonder that the first thing the angel said to them was, Do not be alarmed. Then the angel said something to them that had to blow their minds. He said, You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. Even though Jesus had repeatedly said he was going to be crucified and that he would rise from the dead, it seems as if none of his followers got the message. Some of his enemies remembered that he had said that. As we see in Matthew 27, 63, when the Jewish leaders requested a guard unit, but it doesn't seem like any of his followers remembered that or understood it or got it. Thus, when the angel said to these ladies that Jesus had risen from the dead, I'm sure that these women simply could not wrap their minds around what they were hearing. Remember what they were coming to do. They're coming to anoint the dead body of Jesus. And this angel said it's, his body isn't dead. He is risen. And this is what you almost always see in the responses of the people involved in the post-resurrection appearances. They could not understand it. They couldn't accept it. They almost didn't believe it. It didn't make sense to them because, again I say, they were not expecting a resurrection. And because it was so difficult for them to accept, this angel invited the women to examine the tomb where the body of Jesus had been placed. Luke tells us, Mark doesn't, but Luke tells us that they did go into the tomb. None of the gospel writers state what the women saw when they went into the tomb. But John does describe what Peter saw when he went into the tomb just a little bit later. John 20, verses 6 and 7 say that Peter saw the linen cloths lying there and the handkerchief that had been around the head of Jesus not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. In other words, Peter noticed that the grave clothes were there like an empty cocoon still in the shape of the body of Jesus. This is proof, by the way, that no one had stolen the body of Jesus because no one would have bothered to take off all those grave clothes, unwrap all those, those linen cloths with all the spices. Peter also saw that the face cloth was folded together in a place by itself. Why does John mention that detail? Because it's further proof of a physical, bodily resurrection. You see, some people say Jesus was just raised spiritually from the dead. A few years ago, I heard Elizabeth Clare Prophet, who at the time was the leader of uh, 
Church Universal and Triumphant over in the Paradise Valley. She was preaching on Easter Sunday. I listened to the sermon, and she said, We know that Jesus was not raised from the dead physically. It was a spiritual resurrection. That is a common view. The, the accounts in the Gospels totally demolished that. Totally. It was a physical, bodily resurrection. The description that John gives indicates that Jesus not only passed right through his grave clothes, but with his own hands, he also folded his head cloth and set it off to the side in a place by itself. That's what Peter saw, and we can assume that the women saw the same thing when they went into the tomb. Once they saw those things and began to believe what had taken place, the angel gave them further instructions. In verse 7, But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. Now understand, this does not mean that the eleven disciples would not see Jesus until they saw him in Galilee. Because we know that they saw him several times before this particular meeting in Galilee. But the appearance to Jesus, appearance of Jesus to his disciples in Galilee was his crowning appearance in the sense that 1 Corinthians 15, 6 tells us he was seen by over 500 brethren at once. So it is possible that this angel was instructing the women to spread the word to all the followers of Jesus. Now remember, this is Passover season. And a lot of people had come down from Galilee to Jerusalem for Passover. And a lot of these people were followers of Jesus. So the instruction here to these women is, is go to all the followers of Jesus, all those that you know are believers in Jesus, to tell them to return to Galilee for this huge occasion because that would be the only place where some of them would see him. The eleven disciples would get to see him before that time, but his major demonstration of his resurrection would be to this large group gathered in Galilee from where they had come to Jerusalem for Passover. So that's what the women were to announce to all those who were followers of the Lord Jesus. By the way, notice that Peter is singled out here in these instructions. This was, this was a great reassurance that despite his triple denials, Jesus had not rejected or disowned Peter. And verse 8 tells us, So they went out quickly and fled from the tomb, for they trembled and were amazed. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Did you notice the combination of emotions that Mark mentions in this verse? It's really fascinating. Matthew gives a similar description when he says, They went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. Mark mentions trembling and amazement and fear. That's an interesting combination. Joy we can understand. But what was behind the fear? Were they afraid that this great news they were hearing was somehow a mistake? Possibly. Were they afraid that this great news they were hearing would somehow turn out to be unfounded? Possibly. Maybe they were still overwhelmed by the frightening appearance of the angel. Or maybe their fear was in awe about the mystery of the resurrection. Or maybe their fear was due to the fact that they were so confused. And you know how you are when you're confused. When we're confused, it often produces a kind of fear within us. 
or maybe it was some kind of combination of all these things put together. Whatever it was, they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. And while they were on their way to spread this word, they got another surprise. Matthew tells about it in his account. Go back to Matthew chapter 28. Chapter 28, verse 9 says, And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice! So they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. How can I put into words the emotion of this moment? I can't. There is no way I can describe what this was like. Just a few days earlier, these women saw their world collapse. They looked on from a distance as their beloved teacher and master was hanging on a cross. Chapter 27, verse 55 tells us that very thing. And many women who followed Jesus from Galilee ministering to him were there looking on from afar, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. They not only saw Jesus crucified, they saw his body prepared for burial and placed in the tomb. That's verse 59 of chapter 27. When Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his new tomb, which he had hewn out of the rock. And he rolled a large stone against the door of the tomb and departed. And Mary Magdalene was there and the other Mary sitting opposite the tomb. When that large stone was rolled against the door of the tomb, it was like a spike was driven through their hearts. This one whom they loved and cherished and hoped in was gone. As far as they knew, he was gone for good. But now here in chapter 28, they see him alive, and the first word they hear him say is rejoice. Boy, did they rejoice. It almost reads as if they just collapsed in joy and adoration and worship. As they were bowed before Jesus, they held him by the feet and worshipped him. And how did Jesus respond? Did he say, stop, what are you doing? Did he tell them not to behave that way? Did did he forbid them from worshipping him? No, he did not. This is the same Jesus who in chapter 4, verse 10 of this book said, You shall worship the Lord your God and Him only. Jesus had rightly stated that only God should be worshipped, and yet He was allowing these women to worship Him. And that is further proof of His deity. If He were not God in human flesh, accepting worship like this would have been completely unacceptable. It would have been blasphemous. But Jesus did accept this worship because he is not only King of kings and Lord of lords, he is God in human flesh. He is worthy of worship and therefore he accepted their worship without any hesitation. And then Jesus reiterated the instructions that had been given by the angel in verse 10. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee and there they will see me. This is what the angel had said to the women, and now Jesus reaffirms these instructions. What a scene this is. 
Picture it in your mind. It, it is exhilarating to picture these precious women filled with emotion, worshiping at the feet of the Lord Jesus, and Jesus accepting their worship. This is quite a contrast to the response of angels when someone tried to worship them. Let me show you what I mean by turning to a couple passages in the book of Revelation as we begin to wind down this morning. Turn over to Revelation chapter 19 to see this contrast. Revelation chapter 19. The Apostle John was the one who was given the privilege of this vision of the consummation of all things. And in Revelation 19 verse 6, he says, And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. Why would the angel say that? Because these things are so overwhelmingly marvelous that it seems beyond being believable. We, we can't comprehend all, how all these things can be true. They don't seem real. So the angel assures John that they are real. They will happen. Write it down, John. This is true. And then in verse 10, we read that the response was this, And I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, See that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. John is overwhelmed at all of this he is seeing and hearing. Remember, he was on the island of Patmos, which is a lonely, barren place. He was exiled there because of his devotion to the Lord Jesus. He was going through a very difficult and trying time in his life as he was being persecuted for his faith in Christ. In contrast, the image of this glorious wedding feast is overwhelming to him. So his response to all that he is seeing and hearing is to fall down and worship. But that was the wrong response because it was an angel who was showing him these things. We don't worship angels because even though angels are amazing creatures, they are still only creatures. Fellow servants of God like us, they serve God like we serve God. It's just that their service to God is perfect and ours isn't yet. So they are fellow servants who have the testimony of Jesus, and we don't worship them. We only worship God. So that's what the angel says to John, worship God. It's the same kind of thing that happens over in chapter 22. Turn over just a few pages to the right. Chapter 22, verse 6. Then he said to me, these words are faithful and true, and the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Now I, John, saw and heard these things, and when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. John is so overwhelmed at all that he has seen and heard that his response is to worship. 
He has just been shown the new Jerusalem in all of its splendor and glory. He has seen the river of the water of life. He has seen the tree of life. He has been told that God will dwell with his people in blazing and unrestricted glory. He has been told the Lamb of God will be there in all of his majesty and fullness. He has seen that God's people will reign forever and ever. So his response is to worship. His heart is certainly in the right place, but his actions are misguided. We don't worship angels. We worship God alone. And the very fact that we are to worship the Lord Jesus is proof of his deity because the Bible is clear that we're only to worship God. We worship God and God alone. And that's what John is told in verse 9. Then he said to me, see that you do not do that. For I am your fellow servant and of your brother and the prophets and of those who keep the words of this book, worship God. John already knew this. He had been reminded of it back in chapter 19, but in the thrill and excitement of the moment, he forgot what he had already been told. We don't worship angels. They aren't deity. Angels are more like us than they are like God in the sense that we are all obedient servants and all of us worship God and God alone. So what's the point? The point is this. When we see a group of women worshiping at the feet of Jesus and Jesus accepting their worship, it reminds us that he is God in human flesh. He didn't refuse their worship because he didn't need to refuse their worship as if it were somehow inappropriate for him to accept their worship. He is completely worthy and deserving of worship because he is God the Son risen from the dead. I hope we can enter into at least some of the emotion those women felt on that day as they fell at the feet of Jesus to worship a risen Savior. Let's bow together in closing this morning. As you bow your head in closing this morning, reflect on the things that you have seen from the Word of God this morning on the appearances of Jesus after his resurrection, on the angels at the tomb, on the instructions given, on the response of the, the dear ladies who had come to anoint the body of Jesus, how they fell at his feet and worshiped him. And his response was completely different than the response John received in Revelation 19 and Revelation 22 when he fell at the feet of an angel and was told twice, don't do that. Don't do that. Jesus, of course, never said anything like that because it is appropriate. It is right to worship him. He is God the Son, God in human flesh, risen from the dead. And as such, he is the determiner of every man's and every woman's eternal destiny. Where do you stand with Jesus Christ? Have you yielded to him? Have you turned to him and embraced him? Or are you rejecting him? How you relate to Jesus Christ will determine your eternal destiny. Fall at his feet in worship, in adoration, humility. Fall at his feet to worship the risen Savior. 
fall at his feet and acknowledge him as King of kings, Lord of lords, King of your life today. Father, as we read these stories, we are stirred by them, and yet we realize that 2,000 years later, it's virtually impossible for us to capture all the emotion, all the thoughts that were going through the minds of those dear ladies as they left that morning in the dark to go anoint the body of Jesus, brokenhearted, and then to hear the words that they heard and to see Jesus and, and to be given the instructions to spread the word. What, what, was, what was going through their minds? Impossible for us to completely know. But we don't want to leave the resurrection in the past as mere history. Certainly it is historical. It is historically factual. But Jesus was raised from the dead to affirm that he is not merely the king of the past, but the king of the present and the eternal king, the Lord of lords. So, Father, I pray that each and every one of us here in this room would be rightly related to him, would turn to him, would love him, yield to him, follow him, worship him. Work that grace in the hearts of each and every one of us to be at that, in that place with the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.